This is Gotham TV Podcast, episode 67, looking at Gotham, season 2, episode 15, Mad Grey Dawn. Hey, this is Drew Powell. I play Butch Gilzean on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Welcome back, Gothamites, to this episode of Gotham TV Podcast, episode 67, where we are looking at Mad Grey Dawn. No, it's not the mad local cat lady that just lives around the corner. This <laughs> is a painting, and it's the painting of a bombing of a railway station. Mm-hmm. Heavy stuff in this episode of Gotham. I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host, Derek. All hail the King of Gotham, Butch Gilzean is back. Uh, Butch is back, yes. absolutely, along with Tabitha. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. she's the cat lady, actually. <laughs> actually, maybe she is. Or, or we do, of course, have Selena Kyle, who is also There's loads a crazy of cat, cat lady. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, kick off the show this week, a bit of sad news during the week for Prince fans and for uh, Batman fans, as uh, Prince, uh, the artist, passed away um, on Thursday evening. Um, bit of sad news. Uh, Absolutely. I'm personally a huge fa- fan of uh, of Prince all the way back to when I was a kid. Probably the artist I identify most with in terms of music. Uh, pretty... You do rock a good pair of stilettos. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Can I see that one? <laughs> <laughs> I always love the colour purple too, uh, definitely. Um, but yeah, very sad news, but particularly for, for Batman fans, uh, as Prince was the, the instigator of the music for uh, the Batman movie uh, made by Tim Burton in 1989. Uh, did a full soundtrack for that for that film all the songs done by himself and actually left quite an indelible mark on that movie um, with Jack Nicholson's performance being involved uh, being revolving around one of his songs Party Man for for that movie absolutely um, yeah in the times when soundtracks weren't just background music there was also a little bit of a, almost a musical uh, element to uh, to some of the scenes in that film where they were played out around Prince's music no absolutely I mean I loved uh, Prince's uh, soundtrack for Batman uh, Tim Burton's Batman um, in fact, I would say that was my route into Prince, actually. Right. Um, I, okay, I knew Purple Rain, loved the track and all that, but it was actually the soundtrack to, to this, uh, film that, that really kind of made me identify something with Prince. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, up until that point, I suppose I was a bit more of a Madonna, uh, fan, actually. Yeah kind of rocked the leg warmers but um yeah, yeah it was uh yeah certainly it really um is a, a big loss actually for for music and mm-hmm. um obviously he's got a legacy within the the world of gotham uh, and batman absolutely and prince and, and madonna did record one track together so we do have a collaboration uh, to go back and listen to as well uh, yes but a sad loss did want to call it out uh, before we went into this episode but we will crack on with this discussion of gotham season two episode 15 mad gray dawn yeah a new kings in town so to speak mm-hmm. and we do have butch gilzean is back along with his um queen tabitha mm-hmm. the the kitty psychotic kitty lady who um does like her knives. Uh, she really does. Yes, she does. She seems to find them everywhere, really, doesn't she? She certainly is a kindred spirit of the old Oswald Cobblepot, as we as we knew him, who also liked his knives. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. He also seemed to find them everywhere and usually stabbed a lot of people with them and then went on to eat a little dinner afterwards. But yeah, as usual, I'll just share with you who it is that wrote and directed this episode. Uh, the episode is directed by Robert Hull, uh, 
who has directed other episodes of Gotham in the past. And it was also written by Nick Copas, who wrote the wonderful Scarecrow episode of season one. Uh, yeah, so great to have the team from Gotham coming back to return for another episode. They seem to, they seem to generally use the team of writers and directors that, uh, that have done previous episodes, which is great to see. It allows them to kind of build up the characters in the universe uh, in the way that I suppose they all want to do it. So having them involved as a team probably makes it a lot easier than having guest directors and guest writers all the time. Yeah, this reoccurring writers and directors um, from previous episodes of this season or in fact from season one mm. is actually really good and I think it really helps to flesh out and solidify uh, this world. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm enjoying that aspect uh, of, of this season as well. Seeing them come back on board and how they develop certain aspects or threads, or even if it's just a nod to those back characters yeah. like we had uh, previously on, on a number of occasions, it's just really good. Yeah, it really helps. So, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us for this episode with your synopsis? Sure. Paranoid that Jim Gordon suspects him of killing Christine Kringle, Ed Nigma begins a dangerous game of cat and mouse around Gotham. In the meantime, Oswald tries to adjust to life out of Arkham Asylum and visits his old friends to make amends. Whilst at his mother's grave, he crosses paths with Elijah Van Dahl, who reveals to be his father. Dahl recounts the history of him and Gertrude together to Oswald and welcomes Cobblepot into his family. As Gordon Bullock investigates a trail of brain teasers and clues at the Gotham Museum of Art, an anonymous tip-off prompts internal affairs to reopen the case against Jim Gordon's possible involvement in Theo Gallivan's murder. As Jim's past confronts him, Enigma's paranoid plan takes shape, and the Riddler frames him for the murder of the anonymous informer, a member of the GCPD strike force, whilst revealing his role in the brutal death of the former mayor of Gotham. Gordon is arrested by Captain Barnes at the GCPD, and, after a trial, Gordon is determined guilty and sent to Blackgate Penitentiary. All the while, Bruce and Selina navigate and survive just the streets of, and criminals of Gotham's underworld, and Barbara Keane awakes from her catatonic state at Arkham Asylum. Hello, my dear. <laughs> Yeah, great big ensemble this week. Tons going on with pretty much every character that we that we've seen in the past, didn't there? Yeah, this was a really kind of weird episode for me. I don't have that many notes, but loads of stuff happened, mm. um, and big things happened as well. Certainly. I mean, a lot of things came to pass, and um, a lot of things uh, really came to the surface, and, and a lot of things really that needed to be done, I think, have happened. And I think fur dues to these writers um, and directors of Gotham. I'm absolutely really happy about this episode because of, and I suppose I'm going to just say it, it's my first point, um, Jim gets his comeuppance. Mm -hmm. He is um, revealed. He is exposed. His ruse is finally at an end. He has been found guilty of the murder and and... Uh, shooting of Theo Gallivan. Whether justified or not, you know, he's a police officer, he has a code to uphold, mm -hmm. and he didn't uphold that code at all. And he's been found out, albeit through a fairly sophisticated plan of Enigma and um, trying to cover up his own murder. But nonetheless, what has come out is still the truth. Mm -hmm. um, and that is quite an interesting thing. And 
um, he's sent to Blackgate Penitentiary. So for me, this is a huge, huge payoff episode for that storyline of Jim Gordon being secretive, being slightly uh, economical with the truth to his peers in, in mm. the shape of Captain Barnes, who put so much trust in him. And I must say, I absolutely loved Captain Barnes's interrogation of Jim Gordon in this episode. I thought it was an absolute standout moment. Jim basically says, somebody set me up. And, and Captain Barnes goes, are you seriously going to go with that? Uh, you know how many lowlifes who stood before... Um, us here in this precinct and, and issued those same words. You know, is that all you've got? Be the man that I thought I could trust. Yeah. Like really the, the chickens most certainly come home to roost here for, for Jim in both his professional life and his private life. And I think that is. It, it's great. It needed to happen. Certainly. Um, I had every confidence that it was going to happen. Um, Maybe it took a little while to get there, but nonetheless, this is a great payoff. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I really love this about the episode. I love that it's kind of a punishment for everything that Jim's done. He can't get away with this, you know. He is he is a police officer. We've mentioned it many, many times that um, he's going down a really dark path. If he doesn't find that punishment at the end of the dark path, well, he probably will go further, and that's not the Jim Gordon we know. Uh, it's not that he's incorruptible, as we've said in the past, but what's happened to him this season where he's effectively shot the mayor because justice wasn't working for him. Well, he probably needs to learn to back off a little bit and maybe give justice another attempt. Chill uh, down. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But Chill no, pill. But really, yeah, really liked it. Uh, and particularly, as you say, the uh, the interrogation from uh, from Captain Barnes because he's been let down quite significantly. It, it absolutely puts that nail in the coffin of the idea that there is something um, dark behind Barnes's motives. Uh, he's certainly not a dark character. He, in fact, is probably the lighter character uh, in this circumstance. He is probably the one that is uh, most on the side of good and justice uh, in the GCPD at the moment, really. There were times during the season where you kind of went, or at least I did, like he's being irrational. What Jim mm. Gordon is doing is totally irrational. He is kind of flip-flopping between being this moral, ethical, upstanding officer and then really, um, you know, to take uh, a, another Jim Gordon saying, plunging his hands in the filth of, of the underworld of Gotham mm -hmm. and trying to think that those two are compatible. And and they just weren't. Um, and, you know, he was bringing other people into it, including Leslie. Um, and I like the fact that, you know, she really um, sort of, you know, confronts him about it as well over dinner and you know saying we th i thought this was all sorted out and um, it obviously isn't you know and obviously you have that fairly heart-wrenching moment at the end where you know she's pregnant with with their child and he's now being torn away from her to blackgate um and the irrationality the illogicalness of jim's actions and behavior because of the situations he was in are now coming and, cre and have crept up on him and, you know, he's in serious trouble here. And it's just, I love that consequence paying off. So absolutely. really good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and really like the choice here to have Jim give up Leslie as well, say that he's going to be in prison for 40 years, he's not going to be able to see his child, so she needs to get away from him, get out of town uh, and, and keep away from him. Lovely choice and a, and a great moment, a great uh, scene in the episode as well. So, Derek, what's your first case point? Uh, my first case point 
is obviously going to be our first Batman 66 moment uh, that we've really seen. And this is the most Batman 66 moment I think we've seen uh, in the entire two seasons of Gotham. Uh, the opening of the episode with um, a wonderful moment with Ed Nigma uh, standing in the, in the art gallery uh, with a gigantic, terrible looking bomb with a sign that says, this is an actual working bomb, uh, <laughs> written underneath it, uh, and then lights the match to set off uh, gas to clear out the uh, the gallery. A fantastic uh, Riddler moment from Batman 66. It's exactly the type of thing you'd see. I was surprised it wasn't purple gas or red gas that was coming out of it, or green gas, of course, being the Riddler, um, just to kind of add that little extra colour to it. Uh, but a great moment. I really Absolutely. loved it. Uh, and I, I laughed the whole way through the scene with just pure enjoyment of the fact that this is a real Riddler scene. The fact that he cuts out the painting and puts the the actual green question mark uh, behind where the painting was um, to lead them to more clues. Uh, really good. This, this felt exactly what I wanted to what I wanted to see uh, in the Riddler in this Gotham. Uh, still quite, again, as, as you mentioned, still quite uh, dark in the fact that um, the painting itself is of a bombing of a train station, which is quite topical right now with the bombings in Brussels that happened. About around the same time as this episode actually aired, but it is much a very dark kind of plan that he has that he's going to blow up a train station if Gordon can't figure out the clues. Uh, love that, really nice idea. But yeah, love the love the start of this. Really good fun. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, I think as well with the the, the Riddler heist that that's but a a red herring for the cops to go down in terms of the the bombing of the the railway station. His ultimate game here is you know as we find out at the end is to get the the prints of Jim Gordon on the crowbar mm. is to get the signature of Officer Pinkney um is to get all these other aspects for actually his end game which is the framing of Jim Gordon um for the murder of Officer Pinkney um from Strike Force but also to really show that he um was involved in Galavan's killing. You know, that's the big catch for, for the Riddler. It gets Jim off his scent with regards to Christine Kringle. And by connecting him to and exposing Jim's involvement with that, uh, fatal shot to, to the head of, of Galavan, you know, that's Jim. That's end game for Jim. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's a beautiful, a touch of putting all this together, especially the fact that you do question as the viewer, uh, when I was watching it, I certainly questioned some of the placement of items that was going on. For example, the crowbar in, uh, in the box, uh, in the train station. Uh, I thought that was a really weird thing. You're like, obviously it was a worker that was working, um, painting the walls. I think he was, or putting out some plaster, something like that. Yet he had a crowbar in his bucket, uh, really weird placement. I was wondering why it was in there. And then I love the fact that that tied into later on into the plan, like that was specifically to put there by the writer so that he could ex- put it into the plot. You know what I mean? Um, I love that there was some explanation behind some of these weird things that were going on. Uh, the question marks on the paintings. Uh, again, that wasn't random happenstance. That was, well, I want to point you to the fact that uh, there's a name on here, which means something. And that leads them to Market Street, where the train station is. You know, lovely touches like that, where they've clearly thought out Riddler's plot very, very specifically and peppered elements of it throughout the episode. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, superb. Really right. good um, through thread um, of this cat and mouse uh, between Jim Gordon and Ed Nigma. Although Jim Gordon has no idea who, mm-hmm. who the cat is in yeah. that sense. Yeah. And 
that he's a mouse. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, John, with those furry friends, do you want to take us on to your next point? Yes, I'm going from animal to vegetable, and we have poison ivy. Mm-hmm. Um, with Welcome um, back. Welcome back, indeed. It was really great to see her again. Absolutely loved her. And now we see her cultivating, um, you know, the horticulturalist in me, not that there is one, just warmed um, when I saw her finally getting her fingers green, even though they were mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, this is all going off track for me now, but absolutely <laughs> um, loved uh, the fact that we see her growing stuff here, magic yeah. mushrooms. Um, I love how that fitted in as well to to Bruce and Selena and um, having one of their big moments in this episode. It was nice to see Poison Ivy. I like the fact that she's still got her dry wit and deadpan feelings towards Bruce Wayne. You know, oh, the billionaire boy, why are you living on the streets? You know, really, really good. <laughs> Certainly, um, yeah. Absolutely love uh, Poison Ivy and it was great to see her back. Yeah, definitely really enjoyed enjoyed seeing Claire Foley back. She just plays the part so well as a young uh, a young Poison Ivy. As you mentioned, the dry wit, just the the her whole attitude and how she carries herself, you know. The first time we saw her was she played a really innocent character and very young. Um she's grown up quite a lot now in the last two and a half years. I mentioned it last week just about David Mazus and how much he's grown in the in the two years in the role. Uh, but you can really see the kind of progression of the character and how she's playing her slightly differently and slightly a little bit crazier. And I loved a little touch, which you may have may have missed. It's a little dropped line in there where she mentions the fact that she's tried all of these mushrooms out and she's enjoyed them. Believe her is kind of what she says. So I like that it's kind of something that could be warping her mind slightly by the fact that she's also ingesting these these mushrooms, yeah, which are drugs. Yeah, the yeah. magic mushrooms. It's yeah. the magic mushroom trade of Gotham mm-hmm. um, and that they use them to, um, you know, knock out all the guys upstairs so that they can steal money for living on the streets. They're yeah. really good. Um, you know, she even sort of messes with Bruce Wayne about saying, <laughs> well, they will die. It's going to kill them. Yeah. And he's like, what? I'm only joking. Yeah. You know, it's it's really good. She she plays with him slightly. He uh, really liked that. And I, certainly the, one of the cool parts about it is she's playing with the seriousness. You know, she's a kid at the end of the day, as is Selena, and they've got that kind of great... Um, got that great bond between the two of them and their attitude to Bruce is he's just too serious for a kid which is a lot of people's attitude to Bruce really yeah but I like that she plays with them yet particularly on the um yeah of course I'm going to kill them and then we're going to steal their money Uh, because she knows the reaction she's going to get from Bruce which is exactly what she gets definitely I mean one of the things I really hope here now is that with Bruce and Selena on the streets that we get to see Poison Ivy um really involved in this as well actually yeah. e- even maybe peripherally yeah um, at one stage gosh that was def- pretty say. pretty <laughs> difficult to say peripherally um but that maybe she comes more involved in, in this duo mm. um or certainly more um involved with with bruce you know i mean they too down the line have a a history together mm-hmm. um and that is just really cool. I really do hope that whilst Bruce is on the streets, that he not only just interplays with Selena, but also has uh, po- uh, Poison Ivy to, to deal with um, as well. I think that'd be really cool. And, and it just in a different way, because it just shows then that range of, ex- of experience that, that Bruce is going to get on the streets. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of those things where we kind of have mentioned a few times that Bruce is a young character. He's still a, he's still a kid. He's 
14, 15 years old, uh, yet it's always surrounded by adults all the time. So it'd be nice to have these three characters, particularly the youngest characters in the cast. It'd be nice to see them work together a lot more. Um, I liked the fact they brought in, and we'll talk about it in a minute, I'm sure, but I liked the fact they brought in uh, Butch Gilzine's nephew uh, to be the kind of young antagonist for Bruce Wayne uh, so he doesn't have to go up against the adults in the city of Gotham when he's not ready yet really and um, I do like that touch that it's kind of there's there's the young underworld of Gotham plus everything else that's going on with Jim now so that's a nice way to kind of change it up so you don't have to have Bruce taking down Oswald or uh, or Ed Nigma you don't have to have him involved in that world at all you can create some antagonists for that character that don't have to have any involvement in Batman's future, but show the development. You know, Absolutely. it's kind of like, it's kind of like building up to the end of level baddie, as we as we mentioned, being gamers before. Uh, you go for the low level scum first, and then you build your way up, uh, which I think is a good choice uh, for the episode. But yeah, yeah, absolutely great to see Claire Claire Foley back and Poison Ivy. Great character, and great to see her back on the show. And hopefully, we'll get to see her a bit more in the future. Absolutely, Derek. What's your next point? Takes me straight on to my next point. Really, uh, the. The Batman moment of the episode. The uh, really, this is our Christopher Nolan Batman moment, where where we have Bruce realizing um, and taking elements from his training that he just got in last episode from Alfred. I really liked this moment where he's been knocked to the floor by Sonny Gilzine, uh, and then has the voice of Alfred in his head telling him the way to beat a bigger man is to last him out or to wait him out. Um, great moment, and really, really felt like the kind of inspirational moments that Christian Bale's Batman would have gone through in the first in Batman Begins where he has some memories of his training that lead him through uh, a particularly difficult fight or a particularly difficult battle. Um, I liked this moment. I loved that Bruce actually lasted as well. One of the big things I loved about it as well, you know, we've mentioned it before, the show isn't for kids and they do go quite far with their child characters that are in the show. I mentioned, obviously, Poison Ivy. She's She's down in mushrooms at 14, you know, not not a great uh, impression to give to kids, no. you know. And in this scene with Bruce, he does get beaten really badly. He's given Big time. He's given his first proper scar above the eye. It looked um, really sore, actually. It did. His, yeah. his eye couldn't open. It's fully bruised and beaten and battered after the fight. Selena's stitching him up and, like, really great uh, makeup. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, but the fact that he does learn and, and has listened to Alfred and has taken on board his training that he's given him, a great choice for the episode. Really good moment. Um, he does beat uh, Sonny Gilzine as well. He waits for his moment. Selena distracts him and Bruce takes him out. Uh, really good seeing those characters work together as well. You know, again, as always, Bruce will use anything to his advantage and he's learnt it really well. Uh, really good demonstration of the future Batman. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, it really was a big moment for for bruce wayne here i mean we get alfred's voice coming in uh telling him how to deal with larger blokes um and i mean he takes a a big big beat down uh from sonny but like yeah it was a really good moment like you know he stepped up to the plate um i would say he's moving from childhood into adolescence here at this moment in time um with a hint of adult there as well um really really good uh to see i think and one final touch about that scene, I did love as Bruce rose from the floor for the first time. He seems to get get all the way up to 
uh, get his shoulders back and get his full stance up and seems to be eye to eye with Sonny Gilzean, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. Again, he was defiant, absolutely. Absolutely, but we also think of him as a child uh, all the way through the two seasons that we've seen him in so far. And this moment where he stood all the way up and stretched himself to his full height and stood toe to toe with clearly a guy who's probably in his 20s uh, or late teens or early 20s. And um, it really shows that he's using that Batman move of showing your showing your size making sure that that people will fear you um it's really already started now yeah alfred is not going to recognize him when he gets back to bruce uh, very true bruce manor uh when he gets back to wayne manor very true very true he's probably gonna have a tash when he gets back as well yes his tash may be slightly wiry but nonetheless he will have a tash <laughs> one that jim gordon doesn't have unless he doesn't shave in blackgate <laughs> that's true that's very true. maybe jim will receive his mustache in black case. Maybe, maybe. That was one of my points you've stolen. <laughs> Only joking, but John, what's your next point? Well, just as one character is developing and growing and realising himself, so another character in Oswald Cobblepot, in a sense, has shrunk back from from what he uh, managed to achieve. And I loved this. I'm calling it Old Friends. Mm. Um, I absolutely loved how um, Oswald, fresh out of Arkham Asylum, goes back to all his old acquaintances and friends and, in effect, um, gets turned down by them. We have him turning up at the the King of Gotham's pad with Butch and, and Tabitha there, and essentially he gets... Um, Tarred and feathered for, for his, <laughs> um, for his, uh, troubles. Um, even though he brings cupcakes. I yes. wondered whether it was actually cupcake in there from the previous episode. Uh, maybe he'd done sort of kind of a, you know, given that it's the, uh, birthday of Shakespeare, that maybe he had made a pie or a cupcake out of cupcake. Um, is it Titus Andronicus? I think where they make, a pie of um, the two children. The two children. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. So I thought maybe cupcake had actually become uh, and been made into a cupcake. <laughs> I wondered whether, um, like the cannoli, whether it was poisoned because it was in a similar uh, pink box. So I, I wondered whether it was just all a bit of a ruse. Yeah, I certainly thought that. I must. I must admit, I had that moment of don't eat the cake, Butch. Don't eat the cake. Put it back in its box. Uh, he's been known to poison his henchmen before, and you were his his close tenchman. Uh, maybe he just wants the mantle back. Do not use it. But Butch seemed quite happy. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Butch ultimately says, kind of, okay, we're kind of equal here. Everyone's lost something. Um, you know, Oswald then goes on to Enigma's, where really, um, you know, Enigma kind of goes, well, my new me is starting to hit his stride. What do you mean coming here and telling me not to be bad? You know, sorry, uh, I'm Oswald, loving it. <laughs> but I'm actually, yeah, I'm really enjoying this. Um, see you later. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we really see Oswald struggling here, uh, in this new life, um, that's been thrust upon him by Hugo Strange. Um, he goes back to his mother's grave here and obviously we get the introduction of, um, his father. Elijah Vandal, played by Paul Rubens. Um, you know, so this is really, really good. And, you know, we start to get a back history of, uh, Gertrude Capelput and, um, Elijah, which is a really nice little, um, thread that comes through here. And he takes him under his wing and um, into the Vandal's house, um, gives him some soup, cleans him up and welcomes him into the family. So ultimately, all these knockbacks through the course of this episode, lead to an embrace from his 
his father that he's never known. Um, you know, they realize that Gertrude said his father had died. And in relation to um, Elijah knowing anything about Oswald, Gertrude just simply didn't tell him anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was a really nice little, like, kind of contrast with the knockbacks that were going um, for, for Oswald throughout the earlier parts of this episode. I thought the whole... Uh, welcoming him into the family. I, I, I love the suspicious glances from, um, Elijah's wife and, and presumably daughter mm-hmm. and the son kind of going, Oh heck, what's happened here? Yes. Like, who is this person? Uh, what's he doing here? Um, how does this affect, I don't know, our inheritance or what's actually going on here. So certainly, yeah. You know, yeah. I think there's trouble brewing ahead, most definitely. Um, but I really, really um, enjoyed Oswald's thread through this episode so much. Absolutely so much. I think it really added some layers to his character. Um, it added um, layers to the back history of, of the Copplepots mm. and, and the Capelputs and the Vandals now. So this was a really nice little uh, thread for me throughout this episode. Certainly, yeah. And great to see Paul Rubens in the role. He did play... Uh, Oswald Cobblepot's father for a couple of moments in Batman Returns, as a lot of a lot of Batman fans know. So great to see him back in the show. I have to say he looks remarkably like um, Oswald Cobblepot or Robin Lord Taylor. Mad, um, isn't it? Yeah, it looks really, really like him. You can really see the resemblance. And I would presume this is kind of what they call in in TV business. Like this is stunt casting. This is where you cast someone of interest to get more viewers onto the show. But he's so perfectly cast. He works really, really well. He's done a great job. Uh, probably must have watched the show in the past and must, must have seen the performance of Robin Lord Taylor so he can take some kind of little traits and tricks from him. Uh, but that family, yeah, there's a, there's definitely some difficulties ahead for Oswald with that family, I think. But I do want to bring in a little bit of feedback at this point uh, from Natalie, who sent us an email over at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. What she says is, I'm also a bit suspicious of Elijah Vandal and family. Elijah's story seems both plausible and contrived. I wonder if he's part of Hugo Strange's plans for Oswald Cobblepot, based on the void in Oswald's life after his mama was murdered. Still, always nice to see the former Pee Wee Herman Paul Rubens does look like he could be Robin Lord Taylor's father. Interesting thoughts, and I thought it was a really good time to bring those in from Natalie. What do you think? Could this be the plan of Professor Strange? There's nobody else that Oswald has shared his love of his mother and how much she meant to him. Um, to involve a possible replacement father in that plan, I think that's a really interesting concept for Natalie. It could be. And certainly like the coincidence of meeting at the gravestone of Gertrude here um, is um, maybe a huge coincidence or it's purposeful. You know, there is a meaning to this meeting that goes beyond simple accident. It mm-hmm. is planted there by Hugo Strange. And um, maybe that's why there's the kind of strange glances from his family wondering who on earth is this person? Um, or are, they're involved. Or, or they're involved. Mm. But are they really? I mean, who knows? Um, so I think it's a really good theory. And actually, I kind of want that to happen That's now. That's a really interesting idea. Uh, isn't it? Rather than it for, rather than it to be anything particularly genuine, I, I think this would be a really useful um, way of even aggravating the the Copplepot, Oswald Copplepot, even more to make him absolutely, utterly frayed psychologically around the edges, and and maybe ultimately sets him back on a path towards 
darkness, violence, and criminality. Perhaps, perhaps. I did. I really just did like the concept uh, that Natalie has, has mentioned. And just to assure viewers, uh, much like ourselves, Natalie actually sends us her emails the night Gotham airs in the US. She sends us her emails and we don't open them until uh, the episodes have aired over here. So her theories that she does mention in some of her, in some of her emails uh, are straight after the episode. So if this has happened and you've already seen a future episode, if it is something that is coming up, uh, Natalie doesn't know it and we don't either, obviously. Um, so yeah, I'm fascinated by that theory. Thanks very much for that, Natalie. No, absolutely. Thank you so much for that um, theory, Natalie. Um, it's one that I'm certainly uh, a game for. Absolutely mm-hmm. love seeing how much Hugo Strange can really weave his his menace and psychological madness throughout Gotham. Um, you know, he he's certainly also, I feel, has a plan for Jim Gordon, although maybe that's been kind of um slightly put off kilter by Ed Nigma getting to the the pass first, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and on the other point, John, just to just to say I, I totally agree with you. I thought there was if they aren't the bad guys, if they aren't in the pocket of Professor Strange, I did love the idea of the family going, who's this 31-year-old guy <laughs> yeah, absolutely. coming in to take the inheritance of our gigantic uh, mansion that we've lived in all our life? Uh, there is possibly also that other angle that they could be just backstabbing each other to try and take out Oswald, which I really like that idea of as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, really good point. Uh, definitely enjoyed the Elijah Van Dahl family and great to see Pee Wee Herman or Paul Rubens, as he's better known, uh, back on TV screens. Definitely. Derek, what's your next point? My next point is Butch and Tabitha. Uh, just, I know you mentioned them slightly in that, in that scene, but I think they, they need a point of their own. Um, really like the fact that Butch is living it up as the King of Gotham. Uh, gone is the old suit of the, uh, of the sidekick. Um, here yeah. is the, uh, the luxury furnishings of, uh, of the appropriate for the King of Gotham. Yeah, lounging uh, by the fire in their dressing gowns. Absolutely. With the, with the Queen of Gotham by his side, as you said, um, Tabitha Galavan. Uh, I love the scene with the two of them. They just seem to be having so much fun, uh, playing opposite Oswald and being able to take him down a peg. Uh, I love that Oswald comes in and kind of goes, hello, old friends. And the two of them look at him incredulously and go, um, Wait a minute, uh, and Butch Gilzine waves his missing hand <laughs> yeah, at Oswald to, to go, um, we're not old friends. Uh, you tried, you, you messed with my brain, you took my hand. Oh, and you killed my brother, says Tabitha. Um, and, and Oswald's response to it is kind of, well, I know it ended badly, but we were quite close friends once, and I still think of you as friends, um, showing truly that he is messed up, uh, which I just really enjoyed the scene here, uh, and think it just deserves its own point. Uh, great to see these these characters back, and great to see some parts here. Uh, one of the other elements that I loved about Butch Gilzine, again in this episode, is having a family member in the show expands the character of Butch Gilzine, knowing that there are other Gilzines out there in the universe, kind of creates that uh, that idea that he could be a mob boss and could have other connections in the city and a bigger backstory that we haven't explored yet, which I thought was great. Yeah, and I, I love the fact that the Gilzines are all about the consequences or, as Selena says, they're all about the pizzas. Um, <laughs> you know, and I'm sure there was a pizza or two um, by the roaring fire, um, along with the cheeses that Tabitha must have been nibbling on, because I'm sure that was a cheese night. So, I mean, they are living it up as king and queen of Gotham, and he now is building his empire, but through his family. So it's a real, like, Falcone and Maroni kind of Italian-style mobster, Mm -hmm. sort of within all this craziness, and actually is slightly the 
with them um, in a twisted way because of his, the mind control that was um, forced upon him, the loss of his hand, the fact that Tabitha is uh, a bit cuckoo. It would be interesting to know where uh, Silver St. Cloud has gone, mm. actually. And we know that she uh, parachuted from <laughs> the top of Galavan Towers um, back in uh, one of the earlier episodes. So who knows? Maybe she's just locked up so as to not spoil all the lounging by the fires. Possibly, but I would say she probably did run screaming out of town from the family Galavan. Uh, to be honest, I would say she's uh, she's far away, probably enjoying uh, being a social butterfly again without the influence of, uh, of uh, Theo Galavan on her. Um, that was my point. John, do you want to give us your next point? Yeah, Barbara Keane wakes up. Absolutely. She is awoken um, and is greeted with, hello, my dear, uh, <laughs> straight in the face. So I would oh, say fantastic. she's probably just gone Lula all over again. But what is going to happen? Mm-hmm. Timed very well with Jim being uh, banged up in prison in Blackgate. And so is this kind of a, a disturbance in the force, so to speak? And, I... and her realizing this, um, she's woken up. Is she going to wake up good? Is she going to wake up bad? Is she going to wake up with a massive headache? And um, what's going to happen? I'm really intrigued by this because she essentially was Lula by um, the time she fell out of Gotham Cathedral. Has that bump um, to, to Earth um, maybe cured her or is she suddenly going to be subject to the same sort of treatments that uh, Oswald has been mm, perhaps yeah yeah that's a really interesting point uh, I did love the scene of her waking up uh, at the usher- at the mere utterance that Jim has been sent to prison uh, that that's what wakes her out of her coma and yeah the, the nurse uh, shouting into her face I'm sure that's not part of the training or maybe she isn't a real nurse it is Arkham after all and yeah. we have all- we have previously had a nurse in Arkham who was a, who was an inmate impersonating a nurse, haven't we? So uh, that is that has a precedence in Arkham. So I don't think it comes in the training manual to shout into the face of a coma patient when they wake up. Hello, my dear. <laughs> but really good, yeah, really enjoyable to see her back, and hopefully we'll see some more in the future. Absolutely, Derek. Have you got any uh, final points or any notes left on this episode? Yeah, a couple of notes actually. I have to say, Blackgate Penitentiary really stands out to me as being exactly what it is in my yeah, mind. It's, it definitely. just looks exactly like something from the comic books. Again, the really good uh, moments. We've we've heard mention of Blackgate quite a few times in the series. I think we even had a prisoner release from. Uh, Blackgate Prison in the past. Uh, definitely a bus with Blackgate written on the side of it. Had some passengers that were from Blackgate Prison in, in season one. Uh, I don't think we've seen the full full extent of the prison itself. And it's really good design. It reminds me of Alcatraz. It reminds me of one of those really dark prisons. Um, what I'm really hoping for in in the next episode or in future episodes when Jim is behind bars in, in Blackgate, that we will see um, that kind of moment of well, he's a, he's a cop. He's put me behind bars and I want to take that back out on Jim Gordon. I want to see that. Absolutely. I mean, Jim is in trouble here. I mean, not only is it don't pick up the soap, but it is literally, <laughs> you know, maybe don't come out of your cell. Absolutely. I mean, this is um, Jim in serious trouble. Unless he's under um, maybe a protective custody in a special wing of Blackgate. Mm. But if he's in Gen Pop, he is... Screwed. Yeah, you do wonder, uh, being that, yes, he was a former cop and a respected member of the GCPD, but effectively he's in prison now for 40 years after a four-week trial that we didn't get to see, unfortunately. But um, he's in prison for 40 years for murdering the mayor of Gotham 
and a fellow a fellow officer. So he's a cop killer and murdered the mayor, um, put in prison by people who believe all that to be true and don't believe any of Jim's stories. So uh, so quite interesting. I would be very doubtful that he get any kind of special treatment in this prison, uh, particularly a cop who, fil- who kills a fellow officer, which is what he's been accused of and now tried and, and found guilty of. Uh, I don't think he'd be getting very much special treatment. In no, this big prison. time, big time. Absolutely. Uh, and one more note for me. I know we've mentioned Ed Nigma quite a lot in this episode, but I think this is totally his transformation here, uh, right into how he uses his riddles to take out uh, his opponents. Um, what it really feels like is he's becoming the Dexter Morgan character from the TV show Dexter. Oh, yeah. Uh, nice nice analogy, I think. There. Doesn't it feel like yeah. that? It feels like from the inside, working side by side, you're trying to catch murderers and criminals, and the person working right beside you doing the analysis uh, is the murderer that you're trying to catch really like that touch really good yeah although if ed nigma looks any more dubious in the gcpd with a close-up shot i think his fellow (laughs) officers are going to start to look um, and get very suspicious um, about his actions Uh, that was maybe slightly overused in in this episode or maybe it's even over the course of the last two where Mm -hmm. it's a a sudden pan to a, a sort of um, deep in thought, slightly evil, uh, Enigma face, um, thinking about how he's going to bring down and, uh, destroy Jim Gordon. I loved it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I, I did kind of laugh at one point because I thought it was maybe one, uh, of these shots, uh, too much. But nonetheless, I still liked it. Well, absolutely. At least they didn't choose to have him standing in the middle of the GCPD speaking to himself like he did in last week's episode saying, I'll get you, Jim Gordon. I'll get you right beside the desk of another officer. As I mentioned on last week's podcast, I thought that was a bit, uh, a bit of an unusual choice. Yes. yes. <laughs> but it is Gotham. We, we will certainly accept some kind of things like this. Uh, John, do you have any no- other notes for this episode? Yeah, I've got uh, a couple of notes. Uh, one was I loved seeing internal affairs brought into this, um, opening up the the case on Galavan's murder and the possibility that it's Jim Gordon. I'd actually really love to now see maybe Major Crimes Unit uh, come in here. Okay, yeah, call me a broken record, call me a, a, a stuck record, call me whatever you want. Um, I think the MCU has a significant part to play in the GCPD still, um, and to have introduced them and then not heard from them, not even just by reference to the unit, um, it still um, sticks with me slightly, I think, but um, I think this was a perfect time to really have the MCU come back into Gotham. Um, in cooperation with internal affairs, I mean, both of them are need to be in there. I think, you know, um, they are really integral parts to looking at the life of Gotham uh, through the GCPD precinct. And it's a really important thing because there is corruption in the GCPD. Mm-hmm. There are these special um, units and forces. They've introduced strike force. So, you know, there are these different elements that really um, are important for the life and development of the GCPD yeah. in Gotham um, and not just simply for just throwing them in for the sake of it. So I really like the nod to internal affairs here, um, and I'm hoping that that maybe leads to a re-nodding of the uh, major crimes unit, mm-hmm. the MCU. 
Yeah, you do mention that they introduced the Strike Force. Is that the end of the Strike Force? Because three of the members definitely are dead. I know there were four taken on board, but... There were, but it was expanded as well. And I True. think it is just a general force now. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we're supposed to necessarily bond or, or really attach ourselves to any one of those like we did in the initial stages of it being mm-hmm. set up but i i think they're all dead now. i think i think at the four that we were introduced to by name i think are all dead <laughs> by by now unfortunately yeah, it'd be really useful to know if anyone uh any of our listeners know whether maybe the 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 original quartet of the strike force um are now um dead gone the way of many gcpd officers detectives and other special op groups within the gcpd yeah. that they are now dead and buried by gotham and it's criminal. Just send it into feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. Absolutely, because if I count them out in my head, I think Tabitha took out one who was the sharpshooter. Um, she shot him or, or uh, she killed him with her whip, I think. Um, we had the Firefly burnt one. Yes. Um, the female officer was the first one shot in the first episode of Strike Force, uh, called Strike Force. And now we have Pinkney, who has been killed by Enigma. So I think that's the four that we were introduced to. But as John mentioned, uh, correct us if we're wrong to send us an email over to feedback at uh, gothamtvpodcast.com. Um, interesting that you mentioned Major Crimes Unit. Yeah, I totally agree. We'd love to see these these guys back in the show. And is there a more major crime in the city of Gotham than mayoricide? Um, I'm not too sure whether killing the mayor of the city that you live in uh, isn't the most major crime that you could possibly have. So why not have the major crimes unit be the one investigating it? Now, we did jump, unfortunately, right across the four-week criminal trial. So it's definitely not going to be, they're definitely not going to be there investigating it now, but they could be investigating the impact of it afterwards. Yeah, well, that was one of my other points. We've got a massive leap forward in time mm. here um, within Gotham. So that was an interesting little just structural change. Um, but then the other thing was that obviously the title of the episode, Mad Grey Dawn, uh, refers to the painting, uh, not a particularly well-known or expensive one, um, of the uh, a bombing of a railway station mm. that Enigma stole uh, in order to really give a clue to what hit the next plan of attack by this mystery question mark Riddler was was all about. So I really uh, really enjoyed that as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And as I, as I mentioned, I do like these touches that it all led up to. While it is a riddle, it is a very simple riddle. It's fixed or solved very quickly by Harvey and by uh, and by Jim Gordon. Um, but they are quite intelligent to be able to solve it as quickly as they did. But I like that the kind of reason it's easy to solve is because that's not Ed's real plan. And that it did really like that touch. That was quite cool. I think that's it for our notes and points on the episode. Overall, John, what's your thoughts on the episode? Yeah, I really like this episode. I thought it gave us an awful lot. It gave us some payback. It was great to see um, Claire Foley's Poison Ivy back in there. It was nice to just have that brief moment with Bruce and Selena where he, you know, he really takes a, a nice little step towards um, developing into a, a man and, and what we know to be the the adult version of Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, I really loved um, Oswald's uh, thread through this episode in particular, um, leading to, obviously, the introduction of Elijah Vandal, uh, Paul Rubens here. Um, and, I, I mean, ultimately, the big payoff here was the betrayal of Captain Barnes with the comeuppance of Jim Gordon, both professionally and privately, uh, through the hands of his own actions, but then this lovely Riddler strike uh, that occurs throughout this episode. Certainly. For me, I would give this um, 4.5 magic mushrooms out of 5. <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, yeah, really enjoyable episode. I'm, I'm, I'm 
totally loving this area of Gotham this season, how where it's taking it. Really good idea to set up the foundation of a lot of these characters a lot better bringing back connections to previous episodes, previous series, um, previous characters who haven't appeared for a long time. Uh, great to see all these connections building up into this concept of the city of Gotham and what it does um, when Batman isn't around to save them all. Uh, and it's done a, done a great job, I think, uh, particularly the last couple of episodes have been really, really good and excited to see what happens coming up in the rest of the season with that i think we move on to our feedback remember you can send in any comments or thoughts or discussions on any episode of gotham or the series so far to feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com you can also join our facebook group on facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash gotham tv podcast or of course you can like our page on facebook just search gotham tv podcast and we do tweet out live um, every episode, as it is, on Channel 5 in the UK and Ireland at 10 p.m. every Monday night. Um, just follow us uh, and tweet with us at Gotham TV Podcast. So, Derek, what uh, feedback do we have for, for this episode? As I mentioned earlier on, Natalie did send us in some feedback over on, by email over on feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. So I know I have pulled out a little bit of the feedback, but um, one of the elements I did want to pull out as well is she says uh, one of the big jaw-drappers for the episode was the major omission of absolutely skipping over the trial of Jim Gordon. As with the absence of the election day scenes earlier in the season, this is a bit of a head-scratcher for me. They did have a courtroom scene, a courtroom set earlier in the season, and the trial would have been a good place for Harvey Dent to shine. Uh, Bruce could have heard about the upcoming trial and instructed Alfred to call in some hotshot expensive lawyer who still manages to fail in the face of such nearly unassailable evidence that Ed Nigma has arranged. Uh, it would have given Jim and Lee's fight at the jail better context. Uh, Jim goes from maintaining his innocence to feeling defeated enough to push Lee away. Uh, we should have seen his hopes being dashed in the courtroom. Uh, it goes on to say, at the same time, I have come to realise the writers do not drop such otherwise important beats lightly. Gotham is jam-packed with events and twists. Tough decisions must be made to better service some plots and arcs over a mere 900 minutes uh, a season. I thought that was a really good point from Natalie, I must say. Um, yeah, there are definitely things they could have done with the court case, but we have had a bit with Galaban's trial that we had earlier on in the season. Uh, it would have been really nice to do drop the reference that Harvey Dent was involved in the case uh, wasn't available to do interviews for the TV. Um, but it's a pity we don't, we're not seeing Harvey Dent in, in some of the scenes uh, in here, even as a friend to Jim Gordon, perhaps getting a little bit more involved in his case would have been a, a nice little drop uh, that they would have they would have been able to drop into this episode. But by making that skip over the four weeks does mean that we've missed out on some little opportunities there. I think Natalie makes a, a hugely important point here. And, and I mean, it could be argued that this is still one of uh, maybe the weaknesses of Gotham in terms of how it balances um, new events versus existing events versus closing out um, events that have occurred um, versus um, how they balance everything along. And, and I mean, ultimately here, I think in terms of with the Merrill race, along with the um, this courtroom omission, um, the the balance is more to 
introducing new characters at a pace, in some cases dealing with them quite quickly, and that's not to everyone's taste either, depending on how big a character that they're, they're dealing with, ultimately. Mm-hmm. I mean, as an example, you know, the Scarecrow arc, we absolutely loved the introduction of uh, that character and felt that ultimately, even with two episodes, it was rushed over. Yeah. Whereas Ed Nigma's character has really been given time to breathe so that, I mean, the fruits of that that is coming to pass now with uh, Corey Michael Smith's portrayal and how they can weave him into the story is really, really good. And I definitely take your point here um, about that jail scene between Leslie uh, and Jim. It did feel out of context and out of place, and it's probably one of the negatives and why I didn't give this um, maybe a higher score. I know I gave it a high one, but it was one of the negatives. I kind of... I slightly didn't understand it. It felt inconsistent. And it felt inconsistent primarily because the only other scene in the episode uh, between Jim and Leslie focused so heavily on the fact that she felt betrayed um, to have been lied to, thinking that all this stuff to do with the murder of Theo Gallivan and the secrets that he had been keeping from her... She thought that was over, and now it reared its ugly head again. And then the next time we see her, it's basically, we will fight this. And, um, you know, again, from moralizing, saying, well, you have actually killed people, to then we will fight this. Um, why? The truth has been served. The mm. justice has been served. I understand that maybe within the context of being pregnant and the unborn child and the need for a father yeah. and that kind of aspect, I could understand it from that, but it still felt slightly out of place. And I think you're right. Um, something like the trial over the course of an episode uh, really could have added context to that yeah, scene absolutely. and depth, which, to be honest, um, what's happened by not showing it it really did just feel um, a bit out of place at that moment because up until then, the the previous story between these two characters of Leslie and uh, and Jim in this episode had been one of distrust and fragmentation and mm-hmm. and, and moving apart and, and all of a sudden, without any explanation, that's rectified. Absolutely. The only thing that it does make me think is possibly he did have a really good lawyer who did sell it quite well that he was uh, he was innocent of the crimes and Leslie totally believed his lawyer. Um, potentially that's what it's kind of referencing. There was four weeks there, a big trial, um, tons going on in that trial, I'm sure. Uh, and possibly she totally agreed with what his lawyer was was saying and she's been there to support him the whole time during those four weeks that we didn't get to see. So, uh, again, I totally agree with you, Natalie. I just want to call out another couple of points from Natalie's email. Obviously, like ourselves, she's very happy to see Ivy Pepperback. She says, elsewhere, we have an Ivy sighting with Miss Green Thumb running the most kid-friendly illegal drug grow operation ever, growing more <laughs> magic mushrooms than a Mario Marathon. <laughs> very good. Very good. Uh, and finally, Natalie says, this week's Gotham left us with Bruce finding the darkest elements of his inner Batman, yet also with both Jim Gordon and Oswald Cobblepot far removed from the men they would have to be in Batman's Gotham, and neither one having a clear, immediate path back to their destinies. How will Gotham resolve this in the final few weeks? Yeah, really excited to know. We're on episode 15. We've got seven more to go this season. Uh, and really excited to see how this season is going to wrap up. There's loads going on and they've done a really good job with some of the characters uh, this season. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much, Natalie, for for the, your feedback. It's really so appreciated. Yep, thanks so much, Natalie. And on with our Twitter feedback. 
So first up, Paul J says, I recommend Ed get himself a spray can that delivers a thicker line. Bigger question marks. Thanks, Paul. Richard Blades says, to be fair, after that magic mushroom scene, it looks like the whole episode could be a Batman 66 moment. It is totally bonkers, dark, but they've got the humor bang on. Media Shock UK says, Alfie has taught young master Bruce well. And Claire replied, Brutal, Selena, and Bruce are always great together. Totally agree with those sentiments, guys. Very good. Cahill Boyd says, Ed needs to work on the riddles. Can't come up with them all on the spot. Hashtag crowbar. Paul Edwards says, Clever, clever enigma. He set Jim up good style. He's innocent and he will get out. But I think Jim needs some time in jail to rediscover true justice. Very good point, Paul. Uh, I think I made that myself. Um, definitely need to see some time for Jim sitting in a jail cell, uh, possibly living up to his old mistakes. Don says, One of the best episodes yet. Casting Paul Rubens was a stroke of genius. Yeah, looking forward to seeing a lot more of Paul Rubens on the show. Definitely hope to see more of him next week. And finally, over on our Facebook group, Richard Blaze sums up the episode very well by saying, And in between all the comedy, there is so much going on. Riddle clues everywhere. Penguin's dad, Bruce having a fight, and then Jim getting sent down. Hats off to the writers this week. They really mixed everything into the pot. Thank you so much for all the, the Twitter feedback. It's, again, really appreciated. Um, I think with that, that brings us to the, the close of this episode of Gotham TV Podcast, where we looked back at um, huge changes in, in Gotham. Uh, what is to come? We'll find out, obviously, in the next episode, uh, episode 16 of, of Gotham. We're honing in now on the end of the season two, how quickly it moves. Uh-huh. Remember, as always, you can find our podcast on gothamtvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. Uh, please subscribe, leave a review um, so that others can find uh, our podcast and also so that we have some feedback if we need to change anything up, mix anything up or improve anything uh, that you think could do with tweaking. And of course, if you're not uh, an enjoyer of apples, well, then you can, of course, on any other good podcast catcher for Android um, go to BeyondPod. Podcast Addict, Player FM, Stitcher, just search Gotham TV Podcasts and subscribe to us on your podcaster catcher of choice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'd be great to see uh, see some feedback over on uh, over on iTunes. Just make sure you leave your review. If you do have any feedback about the episodes themselves, as John mentioned, just send those by f- to us by email over at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. Always love to hear from you. Hear a lot from people over on Twitter, uh, as you as we mentioned over at Gotham TV Podcast, where you can follow us. We do hear a lot from, from people there, but we'd like to hear some more feedback about the episodes themselves. Uh, you can also join us over on our Facebook group. Uh, just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Gotham TV Podcast. Thanks so much for listening this week. We'll be back with episode 16, Prisoners, next week. Looking forward to it. Yep. Tally-ho, chaps, and good luck catching the bad guys. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. <laughs> for being a Butch supporter. Butch loves you, baby. This has been a Flickering Myth Podcast Network production. For more information, head over to flickeringmyth.com for more shows like it. Find this show in iTunes by searching for the podcast name and head over to youtube.com forward slash flickeringmyth to subscribe to the Flickering Myth movie show. We'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.